0: Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're gonna be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Let's give God praise for a time of worship. And it is good to be in his presence together. Hey, before we jump into God's word and begin our new series and study today, I just wanna ask us if we just have a, a moment of prayer that we gather together and ask the Lord for just his mercy and kindness and grace in the situation that's happening in Blount County next to us. I, uh, man, it's been horrific to read and understand the loss of life that's taken place over the weekend. and You know, guys, our law enforcement officers put their life on line every single day. And uh, we don't say thank you enough. So can we just thank the Lord for our law enforcement officers? And so here, here's what I ask uh I would ask if you're in law enforcement in any way, men and women in law enforcement, would you just stand? We're not going to put you on camera. We don't want to embarrass you. I know one of our brothers was one of the first responders to the scene in Blunt County uh, just a couple days ago. And so uh, those men and women, would you just stand? And we're just going to pray for you now. So if you'll stand, we'll pray for you. And Ask the Lord to bless you and uh, encourage you. Father, we thank you so much for our law enforcement officers. God, we don't say thank you enough. We... God, are constantly protected and don't, aren't even aware. And so, God, I just pray for these families that have been affected. Lord, the officer that lost his life and his family, God, I can't imagine the grief they're experiencing today, and I pray that you would minister to them as only you can. You would be their peace. You would be their strength. God, I, I pray for the one that has perpetrated these acts. God, I pray that you would move in his heart, that he would even turn himself in. Got to pray for his family that are innocent in this situation. Those that are innocent in this, God, I just pray that you'll protect them even. But, God, as a community, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that one day when you return, oh God, all wrongs will be made right and this will be no more. But, Father, we today want to just stand in the gap for families that are anxious, families that are nervous. I'm going to stand in the gap for our law enforcement officers. God, I pray that we would take an extra moment to say thank you. I pray that we would, um, God, be kind and courteous, even as we leave in a few minutes to the officers that are directing traffic, that, God, there just be a new awareness to the risk that that comes with wearing that badge. So, God, I pray for the Prince of Peace to guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would protect our law enforcement community, and I pray that, God, uh, you would... Bring to justice this injustice that has been done. So God, ministers, only you can today we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So today we're starting a brand new series of sermons. Uh, We've received so many questions and so many good questions. And so, uh, you know, there was some that you were able to predict, right? Like today we're going to talk about heaven. That was one that we could predict. You say, well, why can you predict that we would ask you about heaven? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. So God's put it in all of our heart to want to understand and want to know what we should think about heaven. And so today I'm going to attempt to preach an eight-week sermon series in 30 minutes. All right, so uh, so it's going to be rough. So listen fast. Maybe one you had to go back and catch. I would tell you that a lot of what I'm preaching to you today. Obviously, it comes from God's word, but I learned uh, in a book that I've read multiple times, and I, I would encourage you to have it, all right? It's by Randy Alcorn, and it's just simply titled Heaven, all right? It's a super creative title, I know, uh, but it's titled Heaven, and it is a wonderful volume that you can kind of dig in uh, on, man, what is heaven going to be like? How can I kind of understand these truths? God did not want us to be surprised at heaven. He consistently throughout the scripture is teaching us about heaven and and today from second peter chapter three i want to show you kind of like some truths about heaven i mean we read about it all over the scripture in john 14 jesus talked to us about heaven and jesus said let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms which has led contemporary christian artists to write songs about playing football (laughs) Jesus said if it were not so if it were not so I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also like you see the picture I mean Jesus here is like hey I'm going to this prepare this place and this place is going to be ready for you. And my desire is that you would be here. So heaven is a prepared place for those who believe in Christ. Like that That's what heaven is. its It's a place that God has prepared that if we would believe in Jesus, we could inherit for our eternal home. And this idea of inheriting heaven has been around for centuries. It's It's captivated the hearts of men. If you were able to go and see the Roman catacombs where many of the Christian martyrs are buried, you'd you'd find certain inscriptions. Like one, it says, in Christ, Alexander is not dead but lives. A good perspective on heaven. Uh, Another one says, here is one who lives with God. Another one says, he was taken up to his eternal home. And as you look through these Roman catacombs, you see pictures on the walls of beautiful landscapes, of children playing, of feasts and banquets. This idea of, man, like this is going to be a wonderful place. And so the picture of heaven is one that we should look forward to. And it's a reality we can experience in and through Christ. And so this anticipation towards heaven is not wrong. But some of us, we can kind of miss the mark when we begin to fixate on different aspects of heaven. Can I tell you what the best part of heaven's gonna be? That we will be with the Lord. Like all of our understanding of heaven kind of has to be filtered through this sense of what is best about heaven is that we'll be with the Lord. And so here on earth, we may misinterpret, we may not understand, we may have it a little bit wrong. It might be a little gray in our understanding, but as long as we can understand that what is best about heaven is that we are with the Lord, we're going to be just fine. I mean, some of us are like, well, what size of mansion do you think I'm going to get? Man, your mansion is not going to be compared to the presence of God in heaven. Well, how many crowns am I going to get? Probably one less than you had before, He asked. You get the idea? Like, we, we, can, we can, like, get so distracted in so many things. So I hope to show you today some truth about heaven. First, or 2 Peter, rather, chapter 3. Stand with me. Let's study this together. We're going we're gonna to have to move in our Bible a lot today. But we'll start right here. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 13. The Scripture says, But according to his promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This simple verse in Second Peter 3 is a summary statement of what Peter was writing in all of Second Peter 3. It's, it's helping us understand this kind of end game and end goal of this new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. So I hope today to clear up some misconceptions, and it's been obvious, I mean, after the first service, I think I answered more questions about heaven than ever before, so it's, it's there is no way I'm going to be able to tackle all of your questions about heaven. That's why I want to encourage you, man, getting in a Wednesday night Bible study, getting in a Sunday morning Bible study group, like, those are the places to wrestle with some of these things in ways that we don't have time for on a Sunday morning. But heaven is something, it, heaven is a place that we should fix our eyes upon. Like, we should be looking forward to heaven. Because when we're looking forward to heaven, what we truly are looking to is God and His Word. Like, some of us, we think, well, I'm just going to look towards heaven and just kind of check out on everything else. If you're going to pursue heaven, you're going to pursue God. Pursuing God is pursuing heaven. Pursuing heaven is pursuing God. And so we come to God and we receive His gift of heaven. One author wrote this He, He said, Satan need not to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And I believe this is a tactic of the enemy. I think this author's right. You see what Satan wants to do is he wants to tell us that that hell is really not that bad and heaven isn't all that great. I mean, even in our country music songs that most of us know by heart, we know more country music than we know Bible. There's this sense of like, you know, let's, let's, let's live like hell, but let's proclaim heaven. Let's not be so bad that we have to go to hell. Let's just live like, like, that's the tricks of the enemy. Listen to me today. I want to be as clear as I know how to be. Hell is a place, a literal and real place of eternal torment. Like, it is worse than we can imagine. And we should be heartbroken for anyone who lives all of eternity separated from God in hell. In heaven. Is better. Heaven is better than we can ever imagine. It is more thrilling. You are more complete. You are lacking in nothing. It is tremendous. It is not just the recovering of earth one day, it is the betterment of this earth one day. Like there's this picture in our minds it's like, okay, heaven, it's this kind of distant place that, okay, one day, you know, he'll return and New Jerusalem will come and like we'll just kind of reset. No, it's so much better than reset. Like reset is what you pushed on your Nintendo when your friend was about to beat you in Tecmo Bowl. All right, this is not reset. This is restart, renew. All right, that's what this is. And, And we celebrate that all because of Jesus, our victory has been won. So we should be thinking about heaven. Colossians chapter three, verse one, the scripture says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That phrase, seek the things that are above, is speaking of your overall outlook of life. It's like the goal of your life should be the things that are above. And that is a present tense participle verb, meaning it's an ongoing process. So I'm continually and consistently seeking the things that are above. Like this is what the call of every Christian, that my life is oriented around who Christ is, what he's done, and the promise of my eternal home in heaven. C.S. Lewis said this, he he said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. So the Christians, he's saying, who did the most in the present world are the ones who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. Lewis continues, like they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Now listen to Lewis's conclusion, he said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Like this is convicting, friends, that if we live for today, we may never get that day. But if we live for that day, we'll get this day as well. You think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, hey, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. Same idea, that we should be consumed with thinking about heaven. So let's think about heaven correctly. First, let's understand that there is a current heaven. There is a current heaven. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 23. If you're like, how do I get there from Second Peter? It's left, left, go left. It's probably the only time you'll ever hear me tell you to go left. All right, so some of you will get that in a minute. All right, Luke 23. Pick it up in verse 39. This is the story where Jesus was being crucified, and there were two thieves beside him. Luke 23, verse 39. Man, I love hearing you turn in your Bibles. That's awesome. Hurry. (laughs) Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Jesus welcomed the thief who died beside him on the cross into heaven. He didn't have a systematic theology. He'd never been to a Bible study group. He didn't tithe. He didn't live morally. I mean, his identity was a thief. But because of this expression of faith and this desire to come to Jesus, he was welcomed into heaven. Friends, there is, one prerequisite to getting into heaven, and it is faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way and the only way to heaven. And this current heaven is not something that is just imaginary and out there. This current heaven is what we experience from the very moment that we pass away on earth. You'll hear people say from time to time, your last breath on earth is followed by your first breath in heaven. And that is true because there is a present heaven That we receive as a reward for our faith. In this heaven, our faith, our spirit rather, is fully alive. Life in this heaven is is so much better than this life on earth because we are no longer under the curse of sin and we are fully consumed by the presence of God. Like heaven right now, though, it's important to understand this current heaven is an intermediate state between life on earth and the future resurrection of bodily life at the second coming. So there's this heaven that all of those who have passed are in waiting on the return of Christ, waiting on the second coming, waiting on the new Jerusalem to descend from heaven. This heaven is not lesser than because the goal of heaven and the chief accomplishment of heaven is that we're with the Lord forever. So don't put in your mind of like, okay, there's this ranking of heavens, friends. You when you're with the Lord, you have all you've ever desired, and so here is not a place that's lacking. This this current heaven is not a place that it's like, well, it'll be better one day. Like the people aren't sitting in heaven going like, well, oh, man, this is all right. You know what I'm saying? Like like they're not up there kind of going like, well, that would be better, man. They're consumed with God and they are celebrating Christ. Like when we die, we do not go to sleep as some would call soul sleep like there's no such thing in scripture as soul sleep like we are immediately with the lord in heaven and so we need to understand like you know this this heaven this initial heaven this current heaven we we face judgment but that's the judgment of faith And this judgment does not depend on our works, but it depends on our faith. It's about have we repented of our sin and accept Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And the goal of this heaven is that we are with the Lord. I mean, you've heard me say it already multiple times and I'm trying to convince you today. The best part of heaven is being with the Lord. Like the goal for our lives, like what we should be celebrating is that when we die, if we've repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we will be with the Lord and that will be more than we can even fathom. Like this is the reality of the current heaven but there's still questions like what will it be like? All right, so go back to the right to Revelation chapter six. When We're more comfortable going that way. Go back to the right, Revelation chapter six. In Revelation chapter six, verses nine through 11, we get this picture of this current heaven. Like this is what it will be like. Like this is what's happening now. Scripture says in Revelation 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now this picture that John, who is giving us this revelation, is describing is the picture of martyrs in heaven. These are those who have been murdered for their faith, but but they show us, they give us the sense of what this current heaven is like. And I'm gonna to have to go through these quickly this morning, but, but hopefully it'll answer some of your questions. In verse nine, we can understand that there is direct continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. Like we're gonna be the same person just made perfect. So when we're in heaven, you'd be like, oh, there's Alan, and oh, there's Scott, you know, and oh, there's Blake. Like we're gonna be able to know these things. I mentioned those guys because I think they'll be there. All right, So, so you know, it's like, it's like we'll be the same person, we'll just be made perfect. Also in verse nine, we will be remembered for our lives on earth. Like we will be remembered, like what we do now matters. I mean, he's like, hey, these are the martyrs. Like they are remembered for what happened on earth. Verse 10, we'll be able to express ourselves audibly. Like they're speaking. And they're speaking in one voice, verse 10. It's a unity of their, their goal. Like they, there's not this group over here that, you know, wants this and this group over here that wants that. Like it's not these splinter groups in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, there's not going to be like, well, these are the Baptists. They're mad. These are the Presbyterians. They're this, you know, like it's not going to be those kind of things. It's just going to be like we're all with one voice. And verse 10 says like we're rational. We can communicate. We're emotional. We're passionate. Verse 10 also shows us that we're aware of each other. We're aware of God and we're aware of the situation on earth. And so from heaven, they're aware of what's happening on earth and and they're even burdened by that. They're, they're like, hey, like, like, this what's happening there, is, it's terrible. Verse 10, we're able to ask God questions. And I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of questions. And so we can ask God questions. We remember our lives on earth, so we pray for the saints. And verse 11 says we're distinct individuals, like each one, verse 11 says, that he's gonna put a white robe on them, which means that we have a physical form. Like this isn't like Casper, you remember Casper? Like this isn't like Casper. Like there's a physical form, and we're putting on these ropes. Verse eleven says God will answer our questions. Verse eleven will be aware of times passing. Like can you hear the moment in verse eleven? They're like, how long? How long? Verse ten, verse eleven is like, rest a little longer. Like this is your kids on a long road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like, rest a little longer. Verse 11, we'll be aware of family. This is a constant question or a common question, rather, that we get. We'll be aware of family. You will know your family and you will be known by your family. And in this present heaven, God is completely in charge. So we can see all of this in verses nine through 11 that give us some understanding of of what heaven will be like. And when we understand it this way, we're filled with hope. Like man, this is is remarkable, this is awesome. You know, we're gonna know our family, we're gonna know our loved ones, we're gonna be distinct from one another, like we're gonna have a purpose, like we're gonna be able to talk to God. Like this is remarkable. But let me take your mind back to Luke 23 for a moment. That Jesus, speaking to that thief, he's like, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. So when we understand this current heaven, we should not think of it as anything less than paradise. And when we study the scripture, we find that God has called other things paradise before, namely the Garden of Eden. Like, Remember he says "Like this is paradise? And so the picture that Jesus is painting to the thief on the cross, he's saying, hey, hey like you're going to be with me in paradise. So this current situation is known as this wonderful place called paradise. And what marked the garden and what marks heaven that does not mark us today is the continual presence of God. You see, being with the Lord is enough. So this Continual presence, not marked by sin, no chance of falling into sin, no longer carrying a sin nature and pushed into the very presence of God. This is the reality of heaven. And this is what we celebrate, that paradise is where the Lord is. Being with the Lord is the greatest goal of our life. Second, there will be a final heaven. There will be a final heaven, a current and a final. Look in Revelation chapter 21 to turn again further to the end of the book. All right, Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Let's talk about this final heaven. The scripture says, "'Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. "'For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. "'The sea was no more.' And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, hallelujah. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Like this is a beautiful picture of this final heaven. It describes this new heaven and this new Jerusalem coming to this new earth. And this is permanent and eternal. Like this is it. This is the end. We will spend all of eternity in this heaven, this new heaven and this new Jerusalem being established on the new earth for all of eternity. You see, this is when earth is redeemed and resurrected. New heaven will reestablish the earth to its original design But even better, because there will not be a possibility, hear me now, there will not be a possibility of rebellion, of sin spoiling God's creation because Jesus has defeated death. You say, what's different than the first time? The first time he made it perfect and Adam and Eve messed it up. What's different than the first time is that Jesus got out of that grave. What's different than the first time is that Jesus' blood is sufficient and Jesus has purchased our freedom through his sacrifice on the cross. Like Jesus is what makes the difference. And so it will be like the beginning, but more glorified than the beginning because of Jesus. You know, people argue all the time over whether the current earth will be destroyed or renewed. And that was a couple of the questions we got. I think the best summary I can give you is back in 2 Peter 3. So go back to where we started and we'll stay here the rest of our time. But 2 Peter 3, this whole passage kind of, unlocks for us a lot of these understandings of the end times and, and this new heaven coming. In 2 Peter 3, 5, listen to what Peter wrote. He said, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged, with water and perished. but by the same word, the heavens and earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So what's Peter talking about in Second Peter 3:5? He's obviously referring back to when God created earth, out of nothing he created the heavens and the earth. And then he's referring to Noah and the ark when god destroyed all of the evil in the world with water and a flood except for noah and those that were in the ark i don't know about you last couple of days i've been tempted to look for an ark if if you're new to east tennessee just we call this february all right it's going to rain all month and we're going to be happy about it because the rest of the year is beautiful and this time of year rains But he talks about the flood and then he says in verse 6 and 7 that the earth is ready for fire. So he points us to a coming fire. And this coming fire is a cleansing fire. It will be more damaging and cleansing than the flood because the coming fire will eliminate sin. It will be God's judgment. This will happen at the return, that second coming, when New Jerusalem is coming, the world will be judged and it will be cleansed from all sin. But just like the flood, the coming fire does not make the world uninhabitable, it makes it prepared. 2 Peter 3, verse 10, the scripture says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the coming fire of judgment from the Lord as New Jerusalem is ready to come is a fire that exposes our deeds. It's an exposing fire. It's a cleansing fire. This is in preparation for the judgment that we will give an account on everything we say and do. Some people think, well, nobody knows about this sin. I can hide this sin. For in God knows about it, and one day it will be exposed. We need to understand the seriousness of sin. We need to understand that like, like, all of this will be known one day, yet God still offers forgiveness today through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I beg you today to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Ask him for forgiveness while there's still time, because... Th- 2 Peter 3.10 says, like, it'll come like a thief. Like, there's not going to be this warning system that he's about to return. He's about to return. Make sure you repent. Like, there's not this warning system. It's like, it's a thief. He's going to come. Sometimes other scriptures say, like, in the night. It's this idea that we've got to live ready for his return, not live expecting there to be a warning of his return. See, some of us, we want to look to the stars. We want to read all this stuff. I'm going to try and predict when he will return. Understand, any prediction you see of the return of Christ is wrong. Like Jesus like, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. Like there is no way to know when he returns. But as he returns and fire from heaven exposes our deeds, and then we will be judged. Ancient theologians like Jerome and Augustine and Gregory the Great, even Thomas Aquinas, they would argue that the present earth would not be annihilated, but would be transformed into something better. And the better would be a world without sin. Like that, that's what the better is, and that's what we have to look forward to in this final heaven. Now, some people, when they kind of get into these thoughts of heaven, they get confused by this a thousand year reign. But understand this millennium referred to in Revelation 20, like it has really no effect and no bearing on our view of this final heaven that we read about in Revelation 21. And there's so many different views about what's going to happen in the millennium, and we could be here for hours today trying to describe all of this to you. But that has no effect. Like that 1,000-year reign has no effect on this final heaven, this new Jerusalem that comes down, and this new earth that is being established for the kingdom of God. Listen to Isaiah 66. The scripture says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh will come and worship before me, declares the Lord. So like the prophet Isaiah is prophesying in this, this passage of Isaiah 66 and he's He's speaking literally. I don't think this is figurative language. I think this is literal language that that this new heaven and new earth is before the Lord. It will be sent from God. He will know us, that we will know him, that we would experience him, that Jerusalem will be the center and peace will come to all. And this is the new heaven. Some people think like the new heaven is going to be this unfamiliar place, but it will actually be very familiar. Some people think that it's just gonna be one long worship service, really long worship service. And we're kind of overwhelmed by that thought, but in heaven, all that we do will be worship because we will not be marred by sin. All that we do will glorify the Lord. So I believe you're gonna have business, that you're gonna know people, that you're gonna have hobbies and relationships. Like you're going to live your life as it was intended to be under the glory of God with sin no longer having its hold on you. Wow. Like what a place will it be? Yes, we'll worship, but all that we do will be worship. All of our desires will be fulfilled. Our work will have purpose and value and meaning. Our friends won't tear us down, but they'll help us glorify the Lord together. Our aim will be the same. Another author I read this week, he he said this. He said, no wonder Satan doesn't want us to learn the truth about heaven. He said, if we fall in love with the place and look forward to the future that God has for us, we'll fall more in love with God and we'll be emboldened to follow him with greater resolve and perspective. That's the truth. Like the more we fall in love with God, the more we'll long for heaven and the more impact we'll make on this earth. So see this picture. This picture of this beautiful place that God has prepared for you. It's a current heaven and a final heaven, but I want to share with you today before we leave is that Jesus is the only way to get there. Jesus is the only way to get there. Back in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, like we read at the beginning, he says, according to the promise, the promise that he has said this would be, We're waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Like, what we see in 2 Peter 3.13 is this, like God has promised that we would experience this, and it is righteousness. But for most of us, when we're honest, we start thinking about righteousness, and we begin to feel this pressure and weight because we're not righteous. You're right, the scripture says no one is righteous, not even one. So if righteousness is in heaven with God, like, and that's what it takes to receive this heaven, like, how am I ever going to be welcomed in? Like, how, how does that, how does that work? Well, friends, that's the good news of the gospel, that God has given to us his righteousness through Jesus Christ. So it's not that I can earn heaven by my good works, it's that I receive heaven as a gift from God through my faith in Christ Jesus. Like Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And God has put eternity in our hearts, so there's a longing and a desperation for heaven, which means there's a longing and a desperation for righteousness. And so I run to righteousness if I want my heart to beat for heaven. It's not how close to sin can I get and it's still not being sin. It's how close to God can I get that I might receive his righteousness. I mean, David said it like this in Psalm 63, verse one. The scripture says, oh God, you're my God and I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's what it looks like. Like that is pursuing righteousness. Like I'm yearning, I'm aching, I'm earnestly seeking. Sometimes we just think, well, I mean, I prayed the prayer. I'll just wait on heaven. I mean, where's that in the scripture? Like, there's no sense of like, well, I'm just waiting around for God to take me to heaven. No, man. Like, you got to break the tape, earnestly seeking God, yearning for heaven, receiving his righteousness. Like, this is what we do with heaven. Sometimes we just want to figure heaven out. Heaven will never be figured out because it's in the heart of God. And so you don't need to figure heaven out. You need to get more of heaven in you. And you get heaven in you as you get sin out of you. Think about it. What sin does is sin separates us from the presence of God. And if Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, I've got to get that sin out and I've got to get that heaven in through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why is it that I urge you so many times to like, man, deal with your sin, to have short accounts of your sin? Why? Because, man, I want to get the sin out of you and get to heaven in you. Because when the heaven gets in you, then you are a son of righteousness and you can walk in the freedom and victory that comes from Christ. It's like so many of us, we just, we just want to get to heaven, but barely. Man, that's not of God. Get to heaven. Full of righteousness because you've dealt with your sin and kept short accounts of it. You'll hear people say, you know, I don't want to be so heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good. Look, man, if we understand heavenly mindedness correctly, if we understand that being heavenly minded is getting sin out so that we can get God in, we'll quickly understand that being heavenly minded is the only way to do any good on earth. So a study of heaven should urge us to let go of sin and run to God. And that's only possible through Jesus. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And if we want to experience heaven, he is the only way. And what he has asked of us, is that we turn from our sin and surrender our life in faith to God. See, turning from sin simply means repentance and confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So I turn from my sin. It's not like, you know, I say I'm sorry for my sin, but I keep doing it over and over again. It's like I leave that sin behind and then I wave the white flag, right? That international sign of surrender, Like in our minds, surrender is a sign of weakness. But understand today, the call of the gospel is a call to die to yourself so that you can take on his life. So spiritually speaking, surrendering is the posture that God gives you the most power. Like the more surrender there can be in my life, the more power of God I can experience in my life. And so I surrender to God by saying, God, I want what you want, not what I want, so your will be done in my life. And that leads to a life of faith that I'm walking as he walks, and I'm obeying as he calls, and I'm going as he goes. And and this is how I experience heaven. This is how I get the sin out and the and the righteousness in through repentance and faith. Oh, church, hear me today. Like there is so much hope in the promise of heaven. Like, think about it, like all of the battles I face on this earth, I can now approach to a posture of victory, not defeat, because I have the promise of heaven and I've been secured by the victory of Jesus. Look, if you're facing loss today, whether it's job loss or the loss of a family member, you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to wonder what's waiting for you in eternity. Heaven can be your hope and Jesus can be your victory. Hear me, when he got up from that grave, he promised victory to all. He is a testimony, he is fruit of the power of God that mankind murdered him, but God rose him up so that we could walk in hope and victory. Hear me today, like if your family is falling apart, if your kids are wayward, if you're wondering how this is ever gonna work out, if you think your spouse may leave you, heaven can be your hope and Jesus can be your victory. You are not by yourself. You are not lost and alone. You are in the light of his glory and his grace. Oh, hear me today. If life just feels overwhelming, if you just feel like giving up, if you can't take in anymore, heaven is your hope and Jesus is your victory. You don't have to live defeated. You can stand in righteousness. Anybody want to have church today? Let's stand to our feet. And let's praise our God that Jesus is our victory and heaven is our hope. Come on, let's give him praise. There is hope for you today, it's heaven and it came to earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't miss heaven, don't miss heaven. It's your hope and you get there through Jesus because he is your victory. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.